0: Welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Hello, hello. How's everyone doing today? Good to see everyone here in person. I want to welcome our gateway family that is watching online so glad that everyone is here it's going to be a great day as we finish out our series beyond uh, making sense of it all that really has been the title hopefully you've enjoyed these past several weeks where we've been looking at spiritual truths to our natural senses that's what we've been going through in the last several weeks we talked about we talked about sight spiritual sight spiritual hearing spiritual taste this past week We've talked about touch, spiritual touch, the transfer of touch. And today, we're going to talk about smell. We're going to finish it off. And remember, this is how we experience the natural world through our senses. And I'm talking about how we experience the spiritual is also through spiritual senses. And the title for today's message is The Scent of Sacrifice. The Scent of Sacrifice. That's a title, an alternate title, if you're looking for another one, is What Is That Smell? (laughs) Because I say it all the time because I have four kids. What is that smell? So if you're looking for titles, whichever one, you can go with either one that suits your fancy. Um, Have you ever been to a restaurant? I know I talked about restaurants a little bit last week, and you know that when you go to the restaurant, you're also going to leave with the restaurant. Here's what I mean you know that the smell at that restaurant is gonna be so overwhelming that you're gonna carry it on your clothes for the rest of the day. There's a place like that in Dallas, it's called Hard Eight Barbecue. One of my favorite places to go to if you've ever been, you'll be cheering like everyone else. But because of the way they cook it, you basically walk through the line, you pass the smoker, and all that they're making literally gets all over your clothes and you smell like that for the rest of the day. But I went all the time because I did not mind the smell of barbecue all over me. (laughs) But it's a little bit different when it comes to your own house. And certain smells that linger. I am the only one in my family who actually likes eggs. No one in my family, whenever I'm making eggs, it's a nightmare there. Everyone's complaining, everyone's gagging, everyone's like, why in the world did you cook eggs? If my wife is cooking me eggs, I know it's a sacrifice. (laughs) I know it's a sacrifice, I know that she loves me because she's making me eggs because she hates the smell and many times the smell can even give her a headache. But here's what happens, there's a process that goes all the way through this. The doors are gonna be open, all the candles in the house are gonna be lit (laughs) because she wants to create a different aroma and a different scent so that she doesn't have to smell the eggs that she is making for me. Now our smell is very interesting. It's actually the first fully developed sense that we have. Smell is, uh, we all have our own distinct odor and smell. People can detect at least one trillion. Think about that. Think of the way that God made us. We can detect over one trillion different scents. 80% 80% of your taste is actually dependent on your, sm- on the, on your ability to smell. So they're, they're connected. Here's another thing. A survey found that 85% of all people remembered their childhood when they caught the smell of Crayola crowns. And here's why. Because smell actually puts in our brains a memory. Whenever we smell aromas, whenever we have scents and we smell it, it actually triggers a memory because most of the time it tells a story. And if you were to think about all throughout the scripture, there's many passages that say that it was a a pleasing aroma to God. It pleased God. The smell pleased God. And it's all throughout the scripture. And here's what I believe it's actually referring to. It's talking about Our worship is talking about our sacrifice of worship. So that's why I titled The Scent of Sacrifice, and I'm gonna go through three points today, and they all start with the letter M, so I do that from time to time, forgive me. I want you to help us to remember it. The first one is this, the motive of worship. The motive of worship. In the Old Testament, there were two primary places where God's presence dwelt. With Moses, There was a tabernacle, it was called a tent of meeting sometimes, and it was called that because that's where God wanted to meet with them. That's where God said, I'm going to make my presence dwell. And it was portable, so it's kinda like us being in a portable school right now, I, I liken it to that. But then on the other side, there was the temple that was made by King Solomon, that was a permanent place where God's presence was supposed to dwell, and here's why. Because from the very beginning, God always wanted to be close and he always wanted to be near his people. I don't know if you've ever been asked a question, if you could meet with any one person, dead or alive, who would you meet with? Has anyone been asked that question? Maybe those online have been asked that question. Or if you've ever had this thought, some may say, hey, I want to meet with King David. Some will say, I want to meet Jesus in person. Good person to meet. Warren Buffett, if they love business, whatever it is. We may have that person, but I thought about it this week. If you were to ask God that question, who would you like to meet with? I believe his answer would be this, you. The God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of everything wants to come close and he wants to meet with you and me. And he's shown that from the very beginning, but with the tabernacle, it says this, in Hebrews 8:5, it said they serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. So the tabernacle was supposed to be a pattern for worship. But as you read on, part of this pattern was that they would do sacrifices all the time. Could you imagine, whenever you were to walk up to the tabernacle, you were to walk up to the temple, what it would smell like? So many times we don't think about it like, yeah, there was a tabernacle, but they were literally burning flesh all day. You would smell blood. If you've ever gutted an animal, you know what it smells like. It doesn't necessarily always smell great. Sorry for those who love animals, just right there. If I offended you, it was my heart. But it would smell like Flesh, because they were sacrificing. So it would smell like sacrifice. And that's what worship ultimately is. It is sacrifice. But in Exodus nineteen six, I don't have the passage for it, but it says this, God from the very beginning actually wanted to make them a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. But if you know the scripture, you know that there was only one tribe, the tribe of Levi, we called them the Levites, who ultimately ministered to God in the temple. But that was never God's original intention. God's original intention and what he came to actually restore, and we're going to talk about that more later, is that every single one of us would come into his presence, minister to him, and be ministered to by him. That we would be a kingdom of priests. But here's what's happened. Here's why only one tribe was selected, and it's Exodus 32, verse 25 through 28, it says this. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, this is the moment where he's coming back from the mountain after being up there for 40 days. God's given him the Ten Commandments. He's coming back down and they were unrestrained for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Which just goes to say whenever we live unrestrained, it's a shame to the people that are watching us. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. So in this moment with all the prostitution, all the drunkenness, all the partying and the chaos where they're worshiping this golden calf, Moses comes down from the mountain and says, if there's anyone who's on the Lord's side, come with me. And then look at this. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. One tribe out of 12. They were the only ones who said, When it comes to choosing this, worshiping the golden calf or worshiping God, we're going to be on the Lord's side. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day so the people when Moses came down they were unrestrained there was just basically partying and chaos going on and all out of everybody only one tribe comes I would submit to you today that God is still looking for people to gather to him that are willing to choose his side over choosing the side of the world nothing has changed but if we're going to be his priests, if we're going to be his ambassadors, let me say it that way, because that's what priests were. They were carrying out God's plan and his mission and ministering and blessing people. That's what the priests did. If we're going to be his ambassadors in this world, we're going to have to side with God. We're going to have to follow him. And ultimately, this is the sacrifice of worship. First Peter 2, 9 and 10 says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now you have mercy. So he's saying, You're now actually the royal priesthood. The priesthood that's for every single person. So If you come today, I want to let you know that everyone who's following after God is a minister. So, welcome to the ministry. You should. God has called us all to be ministers. But we have to capture this. Ministry isn't just for pastors. Our job is actually, Ephesians 4 tells us, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So, I do ministry as a saint, but as a pastor, I actually equip you for the work of the ministry, which means you have a part to play. You have a purpose in everything that God is doing. So we're all supposed to be ministers. Now, he says we're a special people. Here's why we're special. If you ever go to a museum before, you see hats, you see all types of different things that are memorabilia from someone who owned it beforehand. The only reason it has significant value is because of whose it was or whose image was on it. I was at Target the other day, we were going shopping with my kids, which is always a wonderful task. (laughs) And there was a long line that was outside. I was like, are they now making people wait outside in line? But it wasn't that. They had just gotten, gotten some specialty cards. I actually think they were Pokemon cards, which is another world that I'm not familiar with. But they were waiting in line for hours. It was actually raining outside so they can rush and get these cards because of what it would represent and the image that it would portray. But that's ultimately what denotes the value, is whose image is on it. Just recently, there was an NFL card that was sold for $2.25 million with an M. And it was a card, a rookie card of Tom Brady, who even though I don't love him, It's probably the greatest quarterback that ever lived in the NFL. But it was worth that (laughs) much. We have some ameners in the house. Okay. I'm praying for your sanctification. Come down to the altar after the service. But it was worth that much because of whose image it was. The reason why we are valuable is because of the image that we are made in. And we are all made in God's image. And because of that, he's made us priests. And we're to be his ministers on the earth. So the motive of worship is that we have the attitude and the heart to follow after him. The second one is this. The movement of worship. The movement of worship. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie or just a show or whatever. And I actually, it was real life. Where they have these posters of people that are are wanted for their crime. And then there's a reward that you get on the other side of it. And here's what it typically says, a desire at the end. It says, we the wanted, Billy the Kid, dead or alive. How many of you remember those? Basically, they're like, we don't care how you get them, just get them. Just bring them to us, okay? But as believers, we're actually an anomaly. Because we're the only ones who are supposed to sacrifice yet still live. See, God doesn't want us dead or alive. He actually wants us dead and alive. So here's what I mean by this. In Romans 6, verse 11 through 13, it says this. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So here's what this passage is saying, that you need to be dead to sin, but you need to be alive to God. He's giving you new life, and he wants to give everyone here new life. If you haven't stepped into relationship with him. He wants to bring us to life. But he's said, I've gone first in giving myself completely to you. So you should give yourself completely to me. And here's where a lot of us get trapped. It said, don't use your body as an instrument for evil. Here's not what the next thing it says. It does not say, use it as an instrument for good. That's not the next thing. That's actually the end. There's a piece in between that if we're not careful, we can miss it. Because so many people think that God just wants to use me. Use me for your glory. Use me for your glory. He says, give yourself completely to God, is what the passage says. And before doing in the kingdom of God, there's first knowing. God wants to know you before you do. This is why it's important for us to grasp this that He wants to be in relationship with us. It's not just about what we do, it's about who we know. We've all heard that passage of Scripture that said, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do these great works in your name? And he said, what? Depart from me, because I never knew you. We are supposed to give ourselves completely to God, and as we give ourselves completely to God, then he will give us the power to do what is right for his glory. Romans 12, 1, a passage we went over last week, but I want to bring it back again. It says, I beseech, which is a word we don't use. He basically means plead. I plead with you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. So he's saying present your bodies as a living sacrifice. But it's interesting he said by what first? He says by the mercies of God. What mercies is he talking about? You got to remember this is the closer to the end of Romans. Romans is so theologically rich. If you read it, you, it would take you really years, honestly, forever to dissect because there's so much in there. But he's been breaking down God's mercies for the first 11 chapters. He's been breaking down that you can be justified by faith. He's been breaking down that God loved us while we were still sinners. That's when he died for us. He's been breaking down that we're not under a gra- uh, law, but where we can receive grace. It's not up to your works. He's talking with them the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He's broken all of these things down, telling you that God loves you and nothing can separate you from God's love. He goes on to continue to say, a very familiar passage, that God works all things for the good of those who loved him and are called according to his purpose. These are the mercies that he's talking about. Because most people struggle with giving their bodies fully to God, it doesn't seem reasonable to them. But I want to say the more you understand God's mercy, the more reasonable it seems to present your body as a living sacrifice. Once you realize what God has done, you understand he's calling you to do in light of the fact of what he's done for you. He's not calling you just to do. It's not rules and regulations. It's understanding that he has given you mercy. And we can act off of that. Lamentations 3 verse 23 says this. Great is thy faithfulness. So because God is faithful, his mercies begin afresh every morning. Some of us have read the passage new, the same passage. His mercies are new every morning because we need his mercy every single morning. So it's important that we understand what mercy is. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. We don't get the penalty of our sin as we stand before a just and holy God. We aren't condemned, but we're accepted, we're loved, and we're called children and adopted by him. This isn't what we deserve, but this is the mercy that God gives us. But I wanna say, we don't sacrifice to obtain mercy. We sacrifice because mercy has already been given to us. This is why we sacrifice, this is why we lay our life down, this is why we go all in for what God has for us. Because we've already obtained Mercy, in the tabernacle and in the temple, there were three main areas. The first one before you even walked in were the gates and then it was the outer courts. Then you had the actual tenor meeting and you had the holy place and then the most holy place. Sorry, this message I'm gonna be breaking down a lot so we're gonna go through a lot of scripture. I don't apologize for the scripture but I'm, I want you to stay with me. I promise you I'm going somewhere in the tabernacle, you would go through this. So that's why the passage says, enter into his gates, what? With thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. This is the way that we're supposed to enter. Remember, this is a movement of worship. This is the way we come to God. This is the way we approach him in light of his mercy. This is how we worship him, with thanksgiving for all that he's done for us and all the things that he's done in us. So this is the way that we approach him. The court. On the outside is where the altar was where they sacrificed all the animals. And if you were to go a little bit closer to the tent, then there was a basin, also called a laver, which is where they would wash. It was a moment where they would be sanctified and we know that we're washed with the water of his word. It's the word of God that washes us. But it comes from understanding the price that Jesus paid for us, because he is our sacrificial lamb. So you remember, this is the process of worship as we're coming to God, a pattern that he set in place. But here's the one thing that was interesting about the tabernacle. Because you got to remember, it moved and they were traveling, but there would be times where they would be stopped in a place. And they would set up, and God or laid it out how they were supposed to be um, encamped. Some on the right, some on the left, some on the top, some on the bottom, but it was all around the tabernacle, and I have a picture of what this would look like to show everybody. Does anyone know what that looks like? If you were to get drone footage with the presence of God right in the middle, you would actually see a picture of a cross. The cross was actually speaking way back when in the same way that it's still speaking today to all of us. It's important for us to realize We've always been saved by grace. It was the cross, it was God's presence coming down here to earth that makes us new. But the cross has always been a part of what God is doing. But the tabernacle, as you entered into it, straight ahead you would see an altar of incense. On the right you would see the showbread, and then a table of showbread, and then you would also see a lampstand. This altar was covered or made out of acacia wood which represented God's incorruptible humanity because they didn't rot very easily. But then it was covered with gold, which represented God's deity. Remember, everything in the Old Testament points to something in the New. It actually points to Jesus. This is the movement of worship, that we need to look to Jesus. The altar also had four corners, four horns at the corners. And the four horns, here's what they represent, mercy. So mercy, before you get into the most holy place, you're gonna need mercy. Look at this in 1 Kings 50, verse 53. It said, Adonijah was afraid of Solomon. This is when Solomon was just made king, and Adonijah tried to revolt against him. Which typically by a king, you would have been killed. But it says this So he rushed to the sacred tent and grabbed onto the horns of the altar. So he's in the tent now, he grabs the horns of the altar, he's grabbing the altar of incense, and it said, Words soon reach Solomon that Adonijah had seized the horns of the altar in fear and that he was pleading, let King Solomon swear today that he will not kill me. Solomon replied, if he proves himself to be loyal, not a hair on his head will be touched. But if he makes trouble, he will die. So King Solomon summoned Adonijah and they brought him down from the altar. He came and bowed respectfully before King Solomon who dismissed him saying, go on home. So what is this a picture of? That you could go into the tent and actually grab onto the horns to receive mercy. This is the same of what it's like for us. Whenever we receive mercy, we simply have to grab a hold of Jesus. And everyone has access to who he is and we can receive mercy. There was also a special incense that was burned on this altar that was not supposed to be anywhere else. And it was a sacred passage for the priest who did it. They typically cast lots to see whose turn it was. That's why in Luke 1 with Zacharias, who's John the Baptist's father, his turn was picked, but it was at the altar of incense that Gabriel met him. So it's important that we realize these things, but here's what it says in Exodus 30, verse 7 and 8. It says, Aaron shall burn it on its sweet incense every single morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So the incense was continually burning. There was never a time where the incense was not supposed to be lit. There was not a time where the aroma was not supposed to be going up to God whenever this tent was happening. So what does the incense represent? Incense throughout the Bible represents the prayer and the intercession of the people towards God. It represents prayer. And prayer is supposed to continually be going up to God. So that's what it represented. Psalm 141.2 says this. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hand as an evening offering. But here's the only the thing we need to realize about incense. Incense only rises when there's a fire. In the same way, Prayer and worship only rise up to God when there's a fire on the inside of us. Prayer is not just supposed to be some habit you have that doesn't have fire mixed with it, that doesn't have passion mixed with it. Our prayers have to have passion. It has to have the fire of God. It's not just, okay, God, you gave me another day. (sighs) Be with me. And going about your day. There's no fire behind that. God can still move because he's God, but he may move in spite of you, not because of you. Are you willing today to let God light you on fire? We've seen those people before. The ones that aren't weird, but they're on fire. We've seen some weird people as well. But we've seen those people that are on fire for God. They're passionate about him. They actually believe what he says. They're choosing to follow Him, and God's moving in their lives in miraculous ways, but why? It's because they took the time to get lit on fire before they stepped out to walk out what God wanted them to do. It's important for us to do the same. So our worship also has to be mixed with fire. I'm gonna have a, a little honest moment right now. I'm a person who likes to listen to songs in like a season. There's a season that I listen to a song, And I'll listen to it over and over, maybe 150 times. My wife is here, she can attest, it's the same thing on in my car for a long period of time right now. It's Elevation Worship, Maverick City, great album. Listen to it over and over. But just in the same way seasons change, I change and move on. And I really don't wanna listen to that song anymore. I don't know if anyone else is like me. And I began to struggle in worship. And there's a song that came out in 2014, everyone knows it, Everyone loves it. But I was in worship one time, and one of the words is, pour out your praise. It's the song, Great Are You, Lord. I've listened to that song a lot. I was tired of listening to it. In my defense, I worked at Gateway. They had five different services at the time, so I heard it over and over and over and over again, and we still sing this song here, just so you know, I haven't kicked it out. But I found myself in a moment where I was supposed to be praising and worshiping, that I was simply tired of singing that song. And I felt like God said to me very simply, since when do you get tired of singing about my greatness? Since when does your preference keep you from my presence? And it hit me, guys, worship isn't for us. Worship is for him. And even when I hear those songs, or even those, those, there are those moments where I struggle to worship, I simply worship him because he is worthy. And I move towards him because my heart and my attitude towards him is one of love. So that is the movement of worship. Here's point number three, the model of worship the model of worship. I'm gonna talk about consecrating the temple. This is the first worship service that they had at the tabernacle, but I want you to look at it as we talked about fire. Leviticus 9, 22 through 24 says this. After that, Aaron raised his hands toward the people and blessed them. That's what a high priest would do. Then after presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering and the peace offering, he stepped down from the altar. Then Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle and when they came back out, they blessed the people again, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell down on the ground, which is what every single one of us would do had we seen it. But here's the interesting thing. This is the first worship service. I wanna point out, where did the fire come from? The fire came from God, right? It said the fire that consumed was ultimately from God. The fire that will sustain us comes from God. It comes from being in relationship with him. Every single time there was a consecration moment where either the tabernacle or the temple were there the fire of God showed up. It showed up in Solomon's temple. But there was one other time it showed up. Very visibly. To where it stayed. At the temple. And it's in Acts 2. Verses 1 through 3. On the day of Pentecost. Which this is Pentecost Sunday by the way. All the believers were meeting together in one place. Some say in one accord. So there was unity. Suddenly. There was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. The last words that Jesus gave his disciples wasn't to go. It was to wait. Because you're going to need power to carry out what I've called for you to do. But look at this, once they consecrated themselves, once they set themselves aside, once they took the time to wait, there were flames of fire and it was signifying to them now, you are actually the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul says the same thing to us in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. He said, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. See, the way that we live our lives honors God by only using his fire, by only living it out from that. Once again, we're having a spiritual conversation. Otherwise, from the outside, you can say, what is this dude talking about fire up there? Fire burns things, we don't wanna be on fire, I don't wanna be burned. But God has fire for us to live our lives. But you're never gonna be able to minister by conjuring up your own fire. Because the flesh always tries to counterfeit what God does. And look at this, in Leviticus 10, this is really one chapter later from when God consumed and brought fire the first time. It says this, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than what he had commanded. Remember, he had set a pattern. In this same fire, it says, so fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up. And they died there before the Lord. Nadab and Abihu, who were Aaron's sons, they were in line to be high priests. They had seen all the miracles that God had done. They didn't regard God as holy. And it ended up costing them their lives. And it was considered unholy because it never went through the proper channels. It was never kindled with the atoning and redeeming work of sacrifice. Here's what we need to know: a move of God never leads a move of man never leads to a move of God, but a move of God will lead men to move. We need to come to the place where we allow God to move in our hearts, to God to move in our lives, because there's nothing worse than fake fire. This past week, me and my family, we're living in a a new place, and at two o'clock in the morning, our fire alarm goes off. Now, fire alarms can be very loud, so we're thinking, okay, this is serious. My wife thought it was very serious. I'm not gonna lie. Are you ever in that moment where you're having a dream and what you're dreaming about is like actually happening outside? So I was asleep, and I was dreaming, and I'm like, man, why is that fire alarm going off? So I never woke up. My wife was a little bit upset about it, but my kids ended up running to my bed, and they were scared. But there's nothing worse than a false alarm there's also nothing worse than when we try to minister with what's been manipulated. We can't manipulate fire. We can't come up with this on our own. It has to be from God. God has to be the one as we minister. It has to be from the fire that God likes. It can't be from anything else. This is the way as ministers that we're called to walk this out. And one other place piece that the altar was supposed to do The altar was supposed to preserve the lives of the priests. Because as they would go into the most holy place once a year, they would sprinkle blood on the horns which represented mercy. But before they actually went in physically, they would put some incense on a censer, lift up the curtain, and let the incense fill the room to the most holy place. Because if they had seen God with their eyes, They would actually have died, so it protected them. Leviticus 16, 13 tells us this, and he put the incense on the fire before the Lord. The cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat, that is, on the testimony, lest he die. So that is, it preserves our lives. The incense of God preserves our lives. So it's important for us to realize this. But in Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus is our high priest. And he went on the cross as an act of intercession for us as a matter of fact, the cross is the greatest act of intercession. Where he gave his life, it was an act of worship because obedience born out of love is worship. And he was willing to sacrifice his life. And Ephesians 5.2 tells us it was a pleasing aroma to God. So in light of what all God has done He's calling us to be a living sacrifice, to lay down our lives, to be a pleasing aroma to him, to be dead to sin, but alive to God. And to carry the fire that only the Holy Spirit can give us. Because in the same way he did it in Pentecost back then, he's still doing it today. He wants to light our lives on fire, he wants to give us the desires of his heart, he wants to give us his plans, he wants us to pray with that fire so that heaven can come down to earth. God is still in the business of moving with fire with the people who are open to receiving what he has. And we wanna be people who minister, not manipulate, that serve him for his purposes so that we can see the world changed. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Even as I'm talking today, some of you may be in that place where you're like, I haven't felt that fire in a very long time. I haven't been filled with the Spirit in a very long time, or I've never received the Holy Spirit. And I've tried to minister, I've tried to serve, I've tried to give, but it seems empty. As I prayed this week, I believe that God, whether you're in here or you're watching online, that God wants to light a fire in your lives today. That you would be able to minister because you are his temple. You are God's meeting place. Wherever you go, people have an opportunity to meet God because you're there and because you are his temple. So I'm gonna pray for us here in a second and we're gonna stand and go into another moment of worship. But our heart right now is that you would Catch the glimpse. Hey, there's this pattern for worship of what God wants to do in our lives, what God wants to do in our hearts, but it won't happen unless we fully submit and surrender our lives to him. We won't be able to receive all that God has if we first don't receive his mercy. We don't receive his grace. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? For every single person, it may be different. But the one thing that I prayed this week, and I'm going to pray for all of us in a second before we go to another song, is that God would light that fire once again, that it would be fresh once again. So Father, we just pray right now. I pray for everyone here. I pray for everyone watching online. I pray that you would light a fire on the inside of us, that we would serve you in a new and a fresh way. That every single day that we wake up, that we would be open to meeting with you, receiving your mercy, and offering our lives once again as a living sacrifice because that's what's holy, acceptable, and pleasing to you. And may the aroma of all of our lives be acceptable to you. And I just thank you for that right now. in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Would you all stand with me? We're gonna go into another moment of worship, but once again, I talked about it. Let that fire, as we sing this next song, as we go into it, let's worship God and let's lift up his name. Love you guys. Thanks for joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.